As Tony said, if you do have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter. And please just keep your place there because we're going to be all over the book tonight uh, in 1 Peter. And we're going to uh, look at several verses within the book. Uh, wouldn't be proper for me not to mention football since we just talked about, you know, we just sang Christmas songs. So uh, I think every time I preach a sermon, I probably mention football at some form or fashion. I love football. I'm a huge college football fan. Uh, I know my favorite team is the Oklahoma Sooners. You all know that. I know boo, hiss, all that good stuff. I will say this. It has been... Uh, a great joy to find out who my real friends are <clears throat> this year as my team has gone through some growing pains. And so uh, I like some of you a little more. I like some of you a little less. Uh, we won't talk about that this evening. But it's been really interesting as a football fan. And you watch um, in West Texas, uh, you get a plethora of different teams who people enjoy. So you have your Texas fan and your AM fans and your Texas Tech fans. And all of those teams have gone through some rough patches in the last 10 years. So it's fun to see who the real fans are because they'll put their, their uh, gear on whether or not their team is winning. Kind of like, I know how that is because I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, right? <clears throat> and while I do love college football more, uh, I do enjoy NFL football, uh, mainly because of the invention of fantasy football, and I really cheer for specific players. But I do enjoy uh, NFL football. I really enjoy um, the Dallas Cowboys. Growing up, I was a huge fan of America's team. And I know Shane tried to speak some untruth last week by telling you that there was a better NFL team within the state of Texas than the Dallas Cowboys. However... Just want to set the record straight. We all know who America's team is. We all know who the best team in Texas is. Uh, that's my opinion, of course. With that said, I went to high school in the 90s. And in the 90s, the Dallas Cowboys were definitely America's team. Um, it, was not, it was a really big um, event to go home on Sunday to turn the TV on and to watch Troy Emmett Michael... And let's not forget some of my favorite, Jay Novacek and the Moose, um, lighting up the scoreboard. Um, now, if you don't know any of those five guys that I just mentioned, I'm sorry. I know it's been 26 years since the Cowboys have hoisted the Lombardi Trophy. My fingers are crossed that maybe we can break through uh, this bad patch that we are in as a Cowboys fan. I know some of you just went into depression thinking, 26 years? The sad part is there's people in this room right now that weren't alive the last time they won a Super Bowl. So we'll just leave that at that. I have passed my love for the Cowboys on to my son. And like any good father should do, <clears throat> he loves the boys. Uh, and one thing he doesn't understand yet is what it feels like to be the Super Bowl champions. He doesn't know what that's like. He's only been alive 10 years, almost 11 now. He would remind me of that. But um, we do, we have celebrated a few Big 12 championships with Oklahoma. Uh, we've made it to the playoffs and choked several times. So we know what disappointment feels like. But 
Every single year, it seems like uh, they flirt, meaning the Cowboys, they flirt with greatness, and they always let us down. Uh, either at the end of the season or definitely the first round of the playoffs, they always seem to flop. So my son waits with anticipation, with an eagerness to feel what it feels like to be the champ, to be uh, the world champions of the NFL. Now, with that said, I know you're like, how does football have anything to do with First Peter? Uh, we're going to look at some scripture this evening, and it doesn't have anything to do with football, but it does have something to do with people anticipating, people looking forward to something. And uh, we're going to see what that looks like as we try to make sense of what the prophets longed for, uh, what the angels longed to see. We're going to look at some of those things. So let's look at the big idea this evening of our passage. The big idea is this. God's salvation offered to sinners is cause for celebration today and a longing for our, for our eternal home. A longing for our eternal home. So 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to begin this evening reading starting in verse 3. And I know this is something that Jake is going to preach on Sunday, so I don't want to steal too much of the thunder here, but uh, it kind of goes with what we're talking about. So let's start reading in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, uh, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, through it is though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. With the inexpressible and filled with glory, obtained, uh, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now we come to this passage tonight in 1 Peter. And as we consider Peter, uh, just a few reminders about some things that have happened in Peter's life. First of all... Um, the biggest thing that happened in Peter's life that we need to acknowledge is the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of people want to discredit Peter because he lacked faith and began to sink when he was walking on water to get to Jesus. Uh, but let's not forget that Peter got out of the boat when everyone else stayed in the confines of the boat. And let's not forget that Peter walked on water. Now you're like, that's kind of crazy, all right? He walked on water before he sank. Let's give him a little credit. Um, uh, Peter was not a fast runner. Uh, we know this because John beat him to the empty tomb, even though he had a head start. We know that John overtook him, so he wasn't the fastest runner. Um, he was one of the original 12 called by Jesus. Uh, he was there during all the ministry years of Jesus. Um, he was there when Jesus uh, was arrested. He was there when Jesus was put on trial. He was there 
when he was crucified, when he died, and ultimately he was there uh, to see him resurrected. He was there to see him ascend into heaven. Peter would have been a part of all of these events happening uh, within that part of the world. And then after the ascension, we see Peter uh, starting churches. We see Peter spreading the gospel through preaching of God's word. And so Jesus in Matthew 13, you don't have to turn there, was talking with the disciples when the question rose, uh, rose up and he said, Teacher, why do you teach in parables? And then Jesus begins to explain how people have ears, but they can't hear. And they have eyes, but they can't see. And he says this, in Matthew 13, he says, But blessed are your eyes, for they see. Blessed are your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it. And to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. We know this because Jesus told them that the prophets longed to see the Messiah. They longed to see what the disciples were experiencing when they walked with Jesus. A few of the things that they longed to see, the prophets of old, they longed to see the scepter of Judah, the David's offspring, the birth of Emmanuel, the perfect sacrifice. These are some of the things that were foretold in the Old Testament that the prophets longed to see. And Jesus is telling them right there in Matthew 13. They all long to see what you guys are living right now. The very steps that you're taking. The very words that you hear. The experiences that they were experiencing day in and day out. The prophets longed for it. And all that excitement that they felt back then. Uh, for something that they didn't have. Should be lived out by those of us on this side of the cross. Because if you go back and you read the words of the prophets and you think about dedicated people that followed God to a T. What they longed for, what they sought after, what they wrote about, the anticipation, the excitement they, they had without having Jesus. How much more should we be excited on this side of the cross? And so with that thought of salvation... With that thought, with that anticipation, let's read our text for tonight. Starting in verse 10. Peter says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that they now have, now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which the angels long to look. It's the word of God. Let's pray this evening. God, I pray that you would help us to feel the excitement that the prophets felt. I pray that you would help us to feel the excitement that the disciples felt. The apostles as they preached the gospel to the world. As they saw um, hearts being turned towards God. I pray that the same excitement that they felt would be the same excitement that we would feel 2,000 years later. Because the same God and the same Holy Spirit that were calling, that were drawing people to Jesus. 
or drawing people towards God is the same spirit at work today. So, Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see your word, open our ears to hear from you this evening. We ask all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. When you look at the beginning of this passage, it's very important for us to consider how it starts out. Concerning this salvation. And it leads us to ask ourselves some very important questions uh, that we should ponder, which every person on the planet uh, needs to ponder at some point in their life. The big question is, am I in need of salvation? The, The most basic question Am I in need of salvation? Um, And I want you to understand, I did not say, do you feel like you need to be saved, that you need salvation? Regardless of how you feel, all humankind has a sin problem. We all have this problem where we've been separated from a holy God. And that sin problem, if you just look around the world anytime whatsoever, any, just look anywhere, you would see that there's issues in the world. There's a sin problem going on in the world. And so there's a situation in life that is dangerous. If you haven't figured out by now, I'm a, also a big fan. I love football, but I also love movies. I love to go to the movies. I like to watch movies. And one of the movies, if it's a good enough movie, I will go back and watch it multiple times at the theater. One of those movies that I like to watch was Armageddon, back in the day. This movie, now that I watch it today, it was, it's really terrible. <laughs> There's really bad acting. It's about the most unrealistic movie that you could ever, uh, you know, for this to even happen. You know, Sunday I talked about Haley's Comet. And the fact that they took spaceships up to an asteroid, landed on an asteroid to try to drill, you know, guys that drill oil rigs, uh, to try to drill a hole deep enough in an asteroid that's moving thousands of miles an hour to, to drill a hole to put a bomb in it. You're like, okay, that's so cheesy. But they do it. Uh, in the movie, they call this meteor when they land on it. It's called Dr. Seuss's Worst Nightmare. That's one of my favorite lines of the entire movie. I just had to throw that out there. But the entire world, it comes down to this. If they don't drill this hole, if they don't, Uh, detonate this nuclear warhead within this meteor. It's going to hit the earth, and it's called a global killer, and it's going to wipe out earth as we know it. So they do it just in the nick of time. You know, everything goes wrong up to this moment, and then someone saves the day. Someone has to stay behind and sacrifice themselves and detonate the bomb, and all is well, and everyone cries tear, and you cue up the Aerosmith music, and you cry, and you leave, and you get some extra popcorn on your way out the door. (laughs) but when we think about our life and we think about the question am I in need of salvation I would say that most people in the world would say no I'm good I don't need to be saved from anything life is it's all good there's no threats I don't see any meteors headed towards earth I don't need salvation but we need to stop and realize that there is a huge sin problem. And now us who God has spoken to and God has changed our hearts and he's opened our eyes to the truth of God's word, we know this. We know that there's a sin problem in the world. And we should want to share that with the world. But let's take a look at some of these verses this evening in First Peter, right here in the book that is given to us. And let's look at uh, 
answering the question, do we need salvation? So the first thing we need to ask ourselves is, what do we need salvation from? First Peter, look in chapter 2. Let's look at verse 24. It says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You'll hear that verse again in a second. But here in verse Peter, Peter's telling us, He, Jesus, bore our sins on the tree. So the first thing is we need salvation from sin. The first thing that we have to come to grips with in our life is that we need to realize our salvation. Uh, before we realize that we need uh, to be saved, we need to see what do I need to be saved from. And the first thing is we have to realize, we come, have to come face to face with the fact that we are sinners. We have broken God's law. God is holy, 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 and when we sin, we have broken his law, and therefore we have been separated from the presence of God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Our sin has separated us from God. Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all chose to do things our own way. And because we have rebelled against the Holy God, we are separated from Him. And we deserve death and we deserve punishment for that sin. And this verse sheds light on the fact that our sin has driven a huge wedge in between us and God. Christ died that we might bring us to God. Next, let's see what we need salvation from. We need salvation from the wrath of God. From the wrath of God. So look over at uh, chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's look at verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? You know, we need salvation from the judgment of God. Sin is... Uh, not just something that we must get healing from. It's something that demands judgment. When sin happens, God's wrath is going to be poured out upon that sin in one way or another. Because that is the nature of a holy God. When you transgress against a holy God, punishment has to be made for that. But there's good news. John 3.16, for God, yes, that holy God, so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That we shouldn't perish, but that we should have everlasting life. So why did God send Jesus? Because Jesus could obey the Father fully. <clears throat> he obeyed the Father fully, which we could not. That way he merited the the responsibility of being able to die the death that we deserved for our sins. He lived the life that we couldn't. He was righteous. He died the death that we deserved, becoming the perfect sacrifice for sins. We need salvation from the judgment and the wrath of the Father. Now, the meteor is coming. The meteor of God's wrath is coming. And there's only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. Lastly, we need salvation from the devil. 
<clears throat> this is an interesting one. First Peter, look at chapter 5. Verse 8. It says, we are to be sober-minded. Be watchful. Said your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan's prowling around. You know, the devil was an angel at one time. Uh, he wanted to be like God. And in his um, pridefulness, God cast him out. In wanting to be God, God says, no, I'm God. And he kicks him out of heaven. He made the same mistake that Adam and Eve did. He wanted to be like God. And when that happened, God gave him the boot. And now Satan looks at us, creatures who are made in the image of God, and he wants nothing more than to trip us up, to cause us to sin against a holy God. He wants nothing more than to lie and to deceive us into thinking that Jesus didn't do what he did. The Bible tells us that the devil is the, a liar and the father of lies and that everything that comes out of his mouth is nothing but a lie because it's just a part of who he is. It's his DNA. He's a liar. And Peter here is letting us know it's a real deal. It's a real problem. The devil seeks to, as John 10, 9 tells us, to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to the fullest. 1 John 3.8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason uh, the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Peter asks us, What do we need salvation from? What do we need salvation from? We need salvation from sin. We need salvation from the wrath of God. And ultimately, we need salvation from the devil because he seeks to destroy us. Now, let's take a look and, and uh, consider the question of what do I need salvation for? You tell me what I got, need salvation from. What do I need it for? What's the purpose that I need salvation for? Number one, we need salvation for comfort and protection. Go back over to chapter 2, verse 25. Chapter 2, 25 says, For you were, like, were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. You know, this immediately, this verse immediately made me think of the prodigal son and how he felt when the son comes to him and says, Listen, I want my part of the inheritance. I think I know what's best for my life. So he takes his inheritance and he jets. And he goes and he lives it up. And he has a lavish life and he lives it up. And at some point along the way, he realizes, I'm broke. My father knew what he was doing. I'm foolish. I need to go back to my father because he's in the worst possible place that he could be. And he goes back to his father, head down, not really wanting his father to. He doesn't expect his father to receive him back. He expects maybe punishment. And he asks him, Father, will you just receive me as a slave? Don't receive me as a son. But what does the father do? First of all, he runs out to meet him. He runs out to meet him. He, he, uh, and when he returns, he celebrates. He puts a ring on his finger. 
They kill a fattened calf and they want to celebrate the return of the son back home with the overseer of our souls. Psalm 23 says, it also hints at this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's our great shepherd. He's our overseer. We need salvation for comfort and protection from the wrath that is to come. Next, uh, we're to receive an inheritance. To receive an inheritance. Chapter 5, verse 4. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. One of the reasons why we need salvation is because what's the purpose for our salvation is that we have an inheritance with God. It says we will receive an unfading crown of glory. And again, much like the prodigal son, when we read that story, the son was given his home back. He was given the ring. He was given gifts because of the great love of the father. The son wanted to bow his head in shame, but the father wouldn't let that happen. He says, no, 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 no more shame. Honor is what you will receive. And going down just a few verses, verse 10, look at this. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, Peter's talking about those going through trials and tribulations on earth. It says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. You know what? We were lost. But God's found us. And he goes, you may suffer for a minute. But when God calls you to himself, he's going to restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. We are saved to share the gospel with the world around us. With the eternal glory of Jesus Christ. To share in that glory. We are to be heirs to the kingdom of God. He restores us back into a right relationship with the Father. And the relationship that was fractured in the garden will be remade new. And we will be restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established. This is why we need to be saved. Saved from sin, saved from God's judgment, saved from the devil. But we need to be made right with God for our comfort and protection and ultimately for the inheritance that he has prepared for us. So as to this salvation, a small glimpse into what Peter is talking about. Let's move on. <clears throat> ultimately, I could stop right here because I've shared enough with you about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, the Son, living the life that we could not, dying the death that we deserved, conquering sin and death for us. It's enough for us to fall on our faces and give him praise and glory. But Peter here is going to teach us a few things else about salvation. He wants us to, to see a few things in this passage about salvation. Number one, Jesus predicted his own death. Look at verse 10 again. Chapter 1, verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter, is, uh, Peter shows us here that the Spirit of Christ, hundreds of years before he ever stepped out of heaven and was born of a virgin 
in the town of Bethlehem, he says that he was predicting his own death hundreds and hundreds of years before it ever took place. 700 years before he came to this earth, he spoke to the prophet Isaiah. Stepped out of heaven. Before he would ever step out of heaven, he told Isaiah to write this. Isaiah 53. It's up on the screen. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. This was 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And you would have thought, man, he was there to experience everything Jesus went through. But this was Jesus predicting his own death. And so Isaiah responds to this revelation. When he hears of this revelation before he writes, he says, he asks God, he says, how long, O Lord, must we wait for this? Because Isaiah longed to see it. Isaiah lived in a place, uh, he, he had it rough. He lived in a place, he was given a message to share to the world and was told, man, no one's going to listen to you. The nation will continue to go down a road that seeks their own pleasure and their own desires. No one's going to listen to you, but I want you to do it anyway. I want you to tell them about me anyway. Why? Because next the prophets served us by pointing us forward to the cross. The prophets longed to see Jesus. Jesus predicted his own death. Jesus, I'm sorry. The prophets longed to see Jesus. <clears throat> we see that um, they longed to see the better David. They longed to see the better Moses. <clears throat> and then uh, the prophets served us by pointing us forward to the cross. In verse 12, it says, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Think about this for a second. Peter is telling the Christians of the day, the prophets, as God revealed his word to them, revealed these things so that they could serve you, not themselves. Man, that's crazy. All of these prophets and what they were sharing was meant for us when we saw Jesus when they saw Jesus come to earth when they saw Jesus live a life of perfection when they saw him hung on a cross when they saw him die when they felt the earthquake when they saw heard about the 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 curtain being torn from top to bottom they could look back at all these scriptures and go that's what God was doing the entire time it was to serve them and he tells Isaiah, your life will not be in vain. It's all for something. And as God's people were still facing persecution in their day, we get to continue to pick up God's word today. You know, I'm very thankful that we're born on this side of the cross. On this side of history. We weren't looking forward to a day when Jesus would uh, come into the world. When the Messiah would show up. On this side of the cross, we get to connect all the dots and we're like, man, I can't wait for Jesus to return and set up his kingdom on earth. 
That's what we get to long for. But we get to look back and we get to connect all of those dots and see what Jesus, what God was up to. What Jesus and how he predicted his own death. The next one is fun. This is great. Uh, The last one here is the angels long to see the mystery of salvation. Things into which angels long to look. I want you to imagine for a second. I know this is difficult. Imagine for a second. We just sang about this. This, this is Christ the King. Whom shepherds guard and angels sing. These angels, they sing about Christ all the time. Can you imagine being in heaven for a second? And, uh, yeah, you're like, no, can't imagine it at all, Corey. All of a sudden, God says, all right, it's time. It's time for my son to make his appearance. Uh, I need a bunch of guys, a bunch of you angels to... Go be a part of the heavenly host that will sing at his coronation here. Can you imagine the excitement they must have felt in that moment? Can you imagine what it must have been like to come down to earth and to proclaim to the shepherds the birth of God's son? The excitement that they must have felt I don't know what it would have been like. When we think about angels, these are creatures that are created by God, so they can relate to us in that manner. But these are creatures that have never sinned. They're angelic beings. They're spiritual beings that they've never sinned. They don't know what it's like to look at it, uh, to be a part of the redemption story, but they get to look into it. They see creatures who were made in the very image of God who turn their back on God, who sinned against God, who've done everything in their power to disobey God's very commands. And yet, God would send his son. And then they get to watch regeneration happen in our lives. They get to see a heart of stone change to a heart of flesh. They get to see eyes that were blind be opened and The gospel makes sense to them. They get to see ears that were deaf be able to hear from God for the first time. And for us to respond in repentance. They get to see that. And this is, Peter is telling us here, the angels long to look at that. They love to see God's great love for us. It brings them excitement. You know how I know this? Because in Luke 15, 10, it says, There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. you imagine there is a heavenly host of people that when one person decides to follow Jesus, they're filled with joy. They celebrate. John Piper says it like this. If the angels love to look at the work of God in saving sinners, how much more should we, uh, should we, who are the very beneficiaries of that salvation, love to look into it and be thankful for it? And don't miss that. If this brings excitement to the angels, how much more should it excite us? How much more should we be driven to our knees to thank God for what he has done in our lives? I just encourage you. 
as you listen to Christmas songs this season. I was in my office today and I I started listening to some Christmas music. And it's amazing how many songs are about the angels and the glory that they give to God. And what they long to see here, Peter is saying, they long to see the salvation that is offered to us. And it brings, fills them with joy. They celebrate because they know of that great love. And how much more should we celebrate the great love that God has for us? So how do we respond to this good news? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. How should we respond to what Peter has declared to us about our salvation? The prophets, how they long to see this day. The angels, the mystery of salvation. How should we respond? Number one, you have to admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. And just before you fill in all your blanks, this is not going to be ABC. I know it's going to look that way, but it's not ABC. Don't don't fill in the third blank before we get to it. Just, Just a heads up for you. First of all, you have to admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. The very first place that any of us, in regards to our salvation, we have to come with grips that we are a sinner and we need a Savior. You have to come to grips with that. Our sin has separated us from a holy God. And so we are a sinner in need of a Savior. Uh, Number two, we need to believe Jesus Christ was sent to give you a new life. Continuing in verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It says, By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus paid the price for our sins by dying on the cross. He lived a life of perfect obedience to the Father in which he was able to be the sinless, spotless, once and for all sacrifice for sin. And as we read earlier... By his wounds we are healed. Recall from, uh, from 1 Peter 2.24 that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That is what God has called us to. The last thing we need to give, give your life to follow Jesus. Give your life to follow Jesus. Continue reading. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We are saved by faith. We are to give our life to Jesus through faith, not by what we do, 
There is absolutely nothing that we can do that can earn our salvation. It's a gift from God. It's nothing that we deserve. It's nothing that we earn. It's a gift. We deserve separation from God. We deserve punishment. We deserve wrath. But Jesus loves us so much that he took that upon himself. And why should we? He gave his life for us. How could we not live our lives for him? We should live our lives for him. He gave his life for us. Why would we not live our lives for him? Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God in his divine knowledge and forbearance prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. We're created for obedience. We are called to to bring honor and glory to him by how we live our lives, by how we share the gospel, and we should walk in them. We should live out our days here on earth for the glory of God, to proclaim what Jesus has done for us. The prophets long to see it. The angels celebrate it. And we are on this side of the cross with all of the dots connected. And I pray that our hearts would see the truth of what God has accomplished through his son Jesus and that we would celebrate him every single day. I know life gets hectic. That's why Peter was trying to encourage these believers because they were going through some trials. They were going through some tough times. And Peter was looking at them and going, look at what God has done for you. It's reason to celebrate. No matter what you're going through, it's reason to celebrate. And so we are to live our lives every day to make him known. And then with anticipation, we look forward to joining the uh, heavenly host someday as we worship Jesus for all eternity.